Please turn with me in a copy of God's Word, if you have one with you, or if you don't, there's some, again, located underneath the seats in front of you. I invite you to take one there and turn to Paul's letter to the Ephesians, chapter 6. We'll be looking at verses 10 through 20, reading from there. We arrived this morning in our study of Ephesians, now about four months into that, at the last section of this letter, the the final room, you might say, in what we have called the treasure house of God's grace that Paul gives to us in the book of Ephesians. God has revealed and Paul has recorded in in beautiful fashion uh, God's grand plan and purpose in the redemption of his people through his son, Jesus Christ. He's He's unpacked for us these vast riches and the countless blessings of grace which God has lavished upon those who are His own. God has saved us by His grace. He has given us new life in Jesus Christ. He has made us His children. He has filled us with His Spirit. He has given us an eternal inheritance in His kingdom. And through that, he's called us to to union and unity in Christ, to be one with him as well as as one with each other in the body of Christ. And he's he's challenged and he's shown us how we are to live out that grace and and that unity and those blessings together, walking in truth and love and holiness and harmony together in God glorifying Christ like. Spirit-filled relationships in the church and in our homes and, and in our communities. And given the way he began the letter, reminding us in chapter 1 verse 3 that God has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms, he wraps it up in a way that may surprise us a little bit, may catch us a little bit off guard, reminding us that we are also engaged in a spiritual battle against a most formidable enemy in those same heavenly places, waged on the battlefield of everyday life. Paul speaks here at the end of a spiritual war in which our only hope is to to stand firm in the strength and in the power of the God who equips His people for the battle and gives us that victory ultimately through His Son, Jesus Christ. So join with me as and follow along as I read from Paul's letter to the Ephesians in chapter 6, verse 10, as we hear what to many of us is maybe a familiar passage and ask God to give us His grace and wisdom as we look at it today and in the weeks to come. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. 
in all circumstances. Take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth, boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Let's pray together. Father God, we come now to your word. It has been read. It has been heard. And Spirit, we ask now that you would come and take that reading and that hearing now the teaching of it and we would make it live to us not because it is not living and active but lord because our hearts need to be made alive to hear and to receive and father even as we have read we have an enemy who would like to come and take away that which is sown and we pray that you would make profitable your word to us this morning Lord, give us confidence that indeed we stand in your strength and in your power. You have given to us in your son, Jesus. We pray this now in his name. Amen. Every time I read this closing section, I'm reminded of the climatic scene in uh, the Lord of the Rings. At the end of the, the novel, the great battle of Gondor, and all the evil forces of Sauron are, are mounted there against the, the city gates and standing in the valley and uh, ready to, to mount their assault on the people inside. And suddenly King Theoden and the riders of Rohan ride up on the hill and they pull up over the crest and they look down over the enemy and and Eowyn and, and, the, and the hobbit Meriodach who are, have snuck into the, to the uh, ranks of the riders look and they just, their faces just become shocked and fearful at the size of the enemy arrayed down beneath them. And Eowyn whispers in a shaky voice, Courage, Mary, courage. Courage for our friends. And then the courage is bolstered as King Theoden turns and rides up and down the lines and he's, he's uh, calling the people, don't fear the darkness. Arise. Spears will be broken. Shields will be shattered. But arise and we ride for the people. I get chills just thinking about it. And similarly, Paul ends his letter here issuing a kind of call to arms, a, 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 a rallying of the troops saying, don't forget, we are at war. We are in a battle. We have an enemy who is out there who is, is bigger and stronger than you may imagine. And he desires to steal your eternal inheritance. He desires to, to rebuild the walls of hostility which have divided and which Christ has broken down. To destroy the union that you have 
the harmony and purity of your relations. He is there to take you out spiritually. And Paul says, therefore, be strong. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Take your stand against this great foe and stand. Stand firm. While we remain in this life here on earth, we as God's people are what the theologians sometimes call the church militant. We are in a great battle. And Paul calls us to stand firm in the strength of the Lord and His mighty power in all of life's battles. Pastors and commentators have preached and written literally volumes on this one section. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones in his six, I think, or maybe even eight volume work on Ephesians has two full volumes given to these ten verses here at the end of the letter. And we're not going to spend that much time here in this passage. But we are going to take the next three weeks to look at what Paul has to say about this spiritual warfare, about this great battle and that we are in as those who are united in Christ. And today we're going to focus on the first four verses and consider the enemy that we face. The enemy that we face. Paul has reminded us throughout this letter that life, all of life really is a struggle. Our hearts, our minds, our bodies, our relationships, our families, our jobs, these are all, all battlefields of sort of, of conflict. And we don't need to be convinced of this as we see and we feel the effects of that conflict played out in various ways and in, in many front fronts and in many forms in our lives. But what we may need to be convinced of is that this struggle is not just a, a result of the environment we're in or the effect of others on us or the things that happen in our lives or even just the, the choices and things we make and the things that we do. But we may need to be convinced that this struggle is the result of a much greater conflict on a much grander scale than we may think or understand. The Bible tells us, and Paul reminds us here, we have a very real and present enemy of our soul who is constantly at work to seek to bring us down. And as long as we have peace with God through Jesus Christ, we will have enmity and we will be at war with God's enemy. And Paul tells us very clearly here just who that enemy is that we face. But before he does that, he reminds us again of whose side we are now on. He says... Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the full armor of God. Remember back in chapter 2, Paul said that we, we once walked in the darkness. We once walked in the deadness of our sins, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. In other words, we used to be on the other side. We used to fight for the enemy. We know what it is to be rebels against God. We know what it is to, to be objects of His wrath. We stood on the opposite side. But God in His mercy, in the Gospel, He comes and He saves us through Jesus Christ. Through the death and resurrection of His Son, He rescues and redeems us from the hands of our enemy. And then He seats us with Him. Where? Do you remember what Paul said? We seated with Him. In the heavenly places. Note that phrase. 
because it comes back here. We are now united with Christ and our position in union with Him is one of, of power and authority. And our, it is our position in union with Him that now puts us at odds and in conflict with His chief enemy, that is, the devil. And as a result, it's the, it's the power of God, it's the same power that Paul says raised Jesus from the dead and by which by His Spirit is now at work in us. That same power gives us the strength and equips us with the means to stand firm in the struggle. To stand firm against the continued onslaught of our enemy. Be strong, Paul says. Literally, be strengthened. It's not something that we do in our own strength, but it's something that we, we pursue God's strengthening power in us. Not by our own power, not by our own strength, but in the Lord, he says, be strong. In the strength of His might that He has for you in Christ Jesus. God has given you and me all the strength that we need. He has equipped us with every uh, element of, of armor we need in the battle to withstand whatever onslaught our enemy can bring. So Paul starts by reminding us of whose side we're on and whose strength we have and whose armor we are to bear and whose power is at work for us in this battle. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God so that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. We're going to look more closely at, at what that strength and that armor is, particularly next week. But here Paul brings us as well face to face with why we need to do that. Why do we need that strength? Why do we need to stand firm? Because we need to stand against the schemes of our enemy, the devil. Our enemy is none other than the prince of evil, the gods of this world, the father of lies, the one who, who roams around like a roaring lion seeking to, to someone to destroy. He is the deceiver, Satan himself. Paul says, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. One of the greatest mistakes in warfare is to underestimate the strength and force and strategy of your enemy. Now, you can also overestimate that power and constantly see the enemy behind every door and at work in every little encounter. And we have to be careful of that as we consider that Satan is on a long leash that God has given him. He is not all-powerful in and of himself. But our problem more often in this day is that we underestimate or even deny his power or even his existence and thus at times we are sitting ducks for his schemes. Paul does not want us to underestimate the power of our spiritual foe and thus wander unawares and ill-equipped into his line of fire. Some of the believers at Ephesus had seen this firsthand. We read earlier in Acts 19, Luke tells us of of some Jews who were going around driving out evil spirits. And they had heard Paul preach about Jesus. And they had seen his miracles uh, and, and watched him drive out evil spirits. And so they come and they say, let's give this name of Jesus thing a try. And so they say to a demon-possessed man, in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches, come out. 
And the evil spirit looks and says, I know Jesus. And I've heard about Paul. Who are you? <laughs> the man under the power of the evil spirit gave him a good old-fashioned thrashing. And I think, I think many times we approach this whole issue of spiritual warfare kind of, of like those Jewish exorcists. If we just do some, some spiritual name dropping, if we maybe read a book or two on the subject and throw out a prayer in Jesus' name every now and then, then, then we'll be all right. We'll be protected and taken care of. And, and then suddenly something comes along in our life and, and Satan uses it to deal a devastating blow to us and we find ourselves on the floor going, what in the world just happened? Paul says we need to know our enemy. We need to take him seriously. He's like a roaring lion prowling around looking for someone to devour. And when you begin to give off the aroma of Christ, when you join up forces through your union with God in Christ, He's coming after you. He's coming after us. Imagine if you knew right now that there was someone out there intent on taking your life. Someone that had a bounty on your head. You didn't know where they were, where they were going to show up, how they were going to operate. How would you live your life? You'd be on your guard, wouldn't you? You'd be on your guard. You'd probably be on high alert. You'd be aware of your surroundings. Be careful where you went, what you did. You'd constantly be on your guard. And Paul says the devil is scheming against you and against me and against God's church. And he's not alone. He's got his foot soldiers and his agents. And Paul speaks of the rulers and authorities, the, the cosmic powers of this present darkness. And while there's much about the details of this kind of ongoing battle that remains unseen and unknown to us, one thing we can know for certain, our spiritual enemy is very real. He's very powerful. He's very wicked. And he's very cunning. He has schemes. Now, I find it interesting that Paul says, not only says who our enemy is, but he also says who he is not. He says our struggle is not against flesh and blood. And it kind of surprises me and surprises us as we read that. Because most often that's exactly how we experience this struggle, isn't it? To say that our, our, our struggle is not against flesh and blood is like saying that our, our fight in the war on terrorism is not against the terrorists. Here's Paul. He's been stoned. He's been beaten several times within inches of his life. He's been, he's been run out of town by angry mobs, including this town, Ephesus. Even as he writes this letter, he's sitting in chains, having been thrown in prison for, his, for preaching the gospel in his faith. And, and what does he mean that our battle is not against flesh and blood? When hundreds of people seeking freedom are blown up by a suicide bomber. When, hundred, when uh, uh, your son is killed by a drunk driver, or your wife founds out she has terminal cancer, or your husband is fired by a, an irrational boss or your neighbor is constantly griping about you to others or you find that you can't cope with the stress and the strains of life and the struggles that it brings you better believe that it feels like you're wrestling against flesh and blood doesn't it it feels like the battle is right there and indeed it is and certainly Paul in the Bible would say yes evil and and sin is exercised is carried out and impacted 
by flesh and blood reality. Humans and human institutions and the various structures of, of culture and society have tremendous capacity for evil and for battling against the things of God. John says in his letter, we are fighting not just against the devil, but against the world and against the flesh. But behind the, the evil workings of men and the injustices and the oppression and the corruptions of human systems and structures and the, the false ideologies, something bigger, something deeper, something far more powerful, more evil, more destructive is at work. Our struggle may involve the flesh and blood reality of the, of the people and things that work against the Lord and His truth. But we have to recognize that we, we need to be prepared to stand against the spirit that is at work behind much of that reality, the schemes of the devil. And so we need to take an honest assessment of our enemy. The Bible is clear. Our fight is on a cosmic scale. And Satan is very real. Satan is very real. And he is very present and powerful. Well, what are his schemes? They are vast and they are varied. The devil is the master of deception and lies. Thomas Brooks, a, a Puritan pastor and writer, has a treatise called Precious Remedies Against Satan's Devices, in which he outlines hundreds of different strategies of devices of the evil one. C.S. Lewis, many of us are familiar, creatively captured the wiles of our enemy in the fictional correspondence of one of his minions, Screwtape, writing to a, a devil in training named Wormwood. This gives us sometimes a picture of maybe ways in which our enemy is at work. But Scripture characterized the, the devil as a, as a deceiver, as a tempter, and as an accuser. And often his many tactics fall in, in those various areas. He's a deceiver. He is the father of lies. And his schemes often revolve around getting us to question, to doubt, or, or even to, to misunderstand or misuse God's truth. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul says, that The God of this world, Satan, has blinded the minds of unbelievers, has kept them from seeing the glory of God revealed in the face of of Christ. Satan will, will take the word of God that is sown on the, on the rocky soil of hard hearts and he will snatch it away before it has any time to take root. So Satan does his work first and foremost to keep us from even, from even seeing and, and understanding and, and grasping the truth of God as it has been revealed to us. And indeed, part of the, apart from the power of God to open our eyes, to, to, to give us ears to hear, and believe the gospel, we, we remain complicit in that Satan's scheme as our hard hearts don't really want to see or hear. But even when God opens our eyes and our hearts to that, if Satan cannot keep us from seeing and believing the truth, he'll do all he can to sow confusion, to sow doubt, to sow distrust in the Word and the truth of God. You remember the his first, very first words recorded in the garden when he comes in the form of the serpent and he says to Eve, did God really say? Did God really say this? 
He caused Eve to immediately begin to question the truth of God's word. And then he goes on and twists it and, and confuses her understanding of God's word to convince her that God really is not for her, but against her. Satan continues that work of deception today as through the work of false teachers who distort God's word to achieve a particular purpose or fit a particular narrative. He will do that what he can to distract us from reading or giving attention to God's word. And when we do, he will seek to get us to view it through the lens of our own human wisdom or through our own understanding or experiences rather than letting it shine the wisdom of God on those areas of life. And thus we become confused and, and divided on what God's word says and how we're to live it out. And we begin to, to fight amongst ourselves over issues in which God has given us his wisdom and guidance. Satan is a master deceiver. He's also a master tempter. He knows and, and will exploit our, our old nature and our weaknesses. He will seek to get us to, to engage our own sinful lusts and pursue our own interests and pleasure rather than the will and the glory of God. Satan knows the chinks in our armor. He knows our places of vulnerability and he will highlight the promises and the pleasures of sin and hide the consequences and pain that it brings. He'll stroke our pride. He'll enable us to, to rationalize our sin. He'll make us be quick to see the sins of others rather than our own. He'll tempt us to fall into self-pity thinking that we deserve better or shouldn't have these particular struggles. He'll get us thinking that others have it better and comparing ourselves with them and coveting what others have. Indeed, we see the Lord Jesus facing the tempter, Satan, in Matthew, in the, in the early parts of the gospel, in, in, in the areas of pride and power and pleasure, trying to get even him to put his own needs and pursue his own will over that of his heavenly father. Satan is a master tempter. And he's also the accuser. He comes at us to make us think God could never love or forgive someone like us. Satan loves to see us overcome and, and plagued by guilt. And so he'll do all he can to make us focus more on our sin than on our Savior. To see the, the, the depths and, the, and, the, and the, 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 the ways in which we turn away from God, but keep our eyes off of what God has done for us in Christ Jesus. He'll take the criticism of others and the, and the self-criticism that we often have of ourselves, some of it very legitimate and, and, and true, but he would, have that, he would have that magnified, cause it to be the loudest voice in our head. He loves for us to wallow in guilt or think we're trapped in patterns that we can never get out of. Some of us here have sins in our past that, if you're honest, you continually dwell on. And you know that self-talk that can happen in your head where you're saying, you know, I don't think I can ever get past that. I don't think God could ever really love me or forgive me for that. It's kind of like turning up a speaker that you, you want to drown out other noise. 
Satan will turn up the amplifier of our conscience such that the, the sweet melody of the gospel cannot get through and be heard. When we go through troubles, our enemy will, will seek to convince us and have us convince ourselves that, that it's actually punishment from God for something we've done, that God is really paying us back for some sin we've committed. Satan causes us to doubt our salvation, to question the power of God's grace and mercy in Christ. The prophet Zechariah in Zechariah chapter 3 was given a vision of, by God of, of uh, Joshua, the high priest. And in this vision, there is Joshua standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing next to him, it says, to accuse him. Our enemy is great. We dare not underestimate his power. The battle is real, and it is rough. The term to, to wrestle here, to struggle, that Paul notes, that Paul speaks of here, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. It notes, it notes not fighting from afar, but, but hand-to-hand combat. It's a, it's a struggle that is carried out in the very, again, real flesh and blood context of our life here in this world. It's fought on the, on the battlefield of our minds and our hearts and our souls. It's fought in the communion of, of saints and in the, in the body of Christ together. It's fought in our marriages, in our relationship with our children, in our places of work and play. It is waged in the institutions and ideologies of our society and culture. And it is ultimately, Paul says, against the powers and principalities, the spiritual forces of evil that work in this dark world. But we do not face this fight alone, brothers and sisters. And that's the good news. We need to recognize the enemy. We need to know his ways and his schemes. We need to be alert and ready as they come. If we do not stand, if we stand in our own strength, we will not stand. We will surely fall. But we have one who stands with us. We have one who stands for us in the battle. In Zechariah's vision, Satan was not the only one standing there. The angel of the Lord stands with him. And in a beautiful picture of the, of the saving strength and power of God, he commands that, that Joshua's filthy garments be removed. And he says to him, Behold, I have taken away your iniquity. And I will clothe you with pure vestments. It's a beautiful picture, and indeed it's a, it's a sign there of the, of the promised one who would come, and as the Lord says to Zechariah in that same passage, will remove the iniquity of this land in a single day. And that day has dawned in the coming of Jesus Christ, who resisted our great enemy at every point, countering his deceit with the truth of God, resisting his temptation, Laying aside his accusations. Taking upon himself the pain of death and thus destroying the one who has the power of death over us as we heard in Hebrews. Namely, the devil. And thus when Paul says, be strong, we can be strong. We can be strengthened in the Lord and in the strength of his might. We can be clothed fully in, in his armor in order that we might stand against the devil's schemes. And so, friends, I ask you, where are you feeling the battle right now? Where are you feeling the battle right now? 
Where do you find yourself perhaps deceived or tempted or accused? Where are you in a, in a, in a flesh and blood struggle right now? Maybe in, in your own heart or, or with your spouse or with your kids or, or with a family member. Where are you struggling or, or maybe suffering as a result of your being a follower of Jesus Christ? Who are you under attack from for your faith? Where are we as the body of Christ? Not just here at Ambassador, but, but our brothers and sisters around the world. Where are we dealing with, with conflict, confusion among ourselves, and even outright persecution at the hands of others? The field of conflict is vast and varied. Paul says, remember, that struggle is not against flesh and blood, though it is often manifested in that realm. We have a far greater enemy in a far-reaching conflict. And he is out to wreak havoc upon us if we let him. But also, remember whose side you're on. Remember whose side you're on. If you are in Christ, you have come over to the winning side. And the power and the strength of God and the grace and truth of the Lord Jesus Christ and the indwelling of His Holy Spirit are with you and they are for you and they are with us and for us as the body of Christ. Be strong in the Lord. Strengthen yourself in the power of His might. Clothe yourself in, in His armor that He provides. And Paul says you will be able to stand and to stand firm in Him. Again, we'll look more next week at how we do that. But today, hear God's call to arms. Do not fear the darkness. The battle is great. The enemy is real and powerful. The struggle is, is hard. But arise. <laughs> you are seated in the heavenlies with Christ the King and He is for you and He rides with you in the battle. His power and His might are in you and in Him you will and can stand. Let us pray together. Father, we too easily forget this truth. And yes, Lord, even in our day and in our land, we deny the forces of evil and the work of the evil one. And he loves it like that. But Lord, we know, and many of us have experienced the realities that are spoken of here in your word, that we have an enemy. And it's not just a cranky neighbor or an irrational boss or struggling marriage or even an enemy who pursues our life. It's one who would seek to destroy our souls 
It would seek to get us to not see your glory, not see your truth and your grace revealed in Christ, not know the power of your resurrection that is at work in us and for us. And so, Lord, we pray that you would strengthen us, that you would open our eyes to see the schemes of our enemy in our own hearts and in our own lives. Lord, we would turn our, our sights and our defenses to that, that struggle. And Lord, that we would walk in your strength. And so Lord, equip us for that. And Lord, make us quick to come to you to repent of our walking in our own strength, struggling in our own wisdom, living according to our own way. But in our weakness to cast ourselves on you and then to live in light of our position seated with you in the heavenlies and our power that you have given to us through your son Jesus by his spirit. We ask that you would do that for us and in us. And help us, Lord, personally, individually, and corporately together as your people to stand, to stand firm. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.